everybody. First, we want to start off by thanking our sponsors, Electro Voice, Woo. Olio, Woo. Woo. and as always, our friends from SK Coffee skcoffee.org. Go check it out. They have some of the dopest coffee of all time. In fact, our friend Nate just dropped off a fresh bag of Peruvian coffee. Listen to he that. did, yeah. And it was just roasted um, on the 22nd, so almost just under two weeks ago. So Nate says this is probably the best coffee they ever have roasted and they ever have brought in and imported. Yeah. They literally bought the farm and Not, they've been talking about this for over a year that, yeah. since I've been working with them about the possibility of actually buying their own farm because they were doing fair trade for a while, but they were getting direct shipments of the coffee from this farm and from the Nigerian farm and right. um, the Costa Rican farm and the Nicaraguan farms. Right, um, right, right. They, were not, they had no middleman for that. So they were getting directly sourced all this coffee. And right. Their long-term goal was to make enough money to be able to, fi to finally buy one of these farms. And they finally did it. They bought their own in uh, Cusco, Peru. Mm -hmm. And um, it's called... Let's see how, how bad I can fuck this up. Um, Tancarniok Farm. Uh, that is the name of the new farm that they just purchased yeah. for SK Coffee. And so yeah, this so is uh, the first batch that's been sent over from Peru. That's right, they said it was just a few, a few months ago, right, that they got it? Yeah, so it's really exciting to have one of our sponsors be killing it that hard. Mm -hmm. um, and also... If you guys haven't checked them out, I think they're Peruvian. Any Peruvian coffee they've ever given me is my f genuine favorite. Um, their stuff is seriously delicious. It's some of the freshest coffee I've ever had. Uh, Sam, who's one of the co-owners next to Nate of this company who started the roastery in the first place and actually learned all the science behind this and mm -hmm. actually is a coral conductor. Yes. Um, he yeah, is very adamant about not giving coffee to anybody that hasn't been roasted within two weeks' time. Right. So every, sing every single thing they send out is literally as fresh as it could pretty much possibly right. be and directly from the source. So Absolutely. shout out to SK for keeping us awake. It's delicious. Mm -hmm. SKCoffee.org. You guys go check it out. Yeah. Pew, pew. All right. Now into today's episode. Megan, you just got back from San Francisco. You said it's sunny and 75 degrees out there, mm -hmm. which was a hot, it seems like a hot streak mm -hmm. for that city. It was. Everybody that was there that lives there was just like, I don't know what's wrong. Like you bring in the sunshine because it's never like that. We kind right. of always joke, you and me, that San Francisco is a perpetual 65 and cloudy. Right. Um, but no, it, the sun came out for us for literally the entire week that Maddie O'Neill and I were there. And um, shout out to Bo Friend, who always hooks us up um, with the condo that we stay in and the yeah, Comstock big, on the big top of Knob to Hill. thanks to Bo. He's the best. Yeah, but, uh, Pat has been there as well. And um, I don't know if you guys heard the podcast that we did last year when we had just gotten back from seeing Jamiroquai at the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium in San Francisco, but mm -hmm. Pat was there with me as well. So he knows how cool this place is, but it's this 10th floor um, condo where uh, the whole entire wall faces the Bay Bridge and the Bay. And you can open the entire window, like a window wall, and the, the sun comes directly over the Bay Bridge right into the apartment. It's so beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Amazing. And it's hot. Yeah. Uh, you're like, I was woken up every day at 7 a.m. by the sun just from being hot, but I would just go rip those things open and you always got a good breeze coming off of the ocean and it just flies in and it feels so good. And we just set our production station up facing um, the bay and the sun just shines right on your face from like 7 to 11 a.m. And I legit got a tan while I was producing. Awesome. Yeah. And me and Maddie just went to a guitar center to buy some monitors that we could go return. 
Mm, when we were done. Snaky kids. But weirdly, they had these, and I'm not a huge fan of M Audio. I don't think a lot of people are, but you know, whatever. It's all right. It's, their own. it's fine. They had the RX8s, the 8-inch cone um, M Audio monitors on sale for $129.99 a piece. Whoa, serious? Dead ass. That Damn, felt $269.99 a piece. I mean, that's almost worth buying just to have a second set of monitors to listen to. It was unbelievable. So we bought those, and then um, we actually ended up selling them to a friend of Maddie's for more than she bought them. So we made money, and we just we just <laughs> that was a high uh, five. didn't even have to bring it back to Guitar Center. Perfect. So anyway, we were just making a ruckus in the condo. We got a lot done, uh, made a lot of music. We were actually very disciplined, but had a great time down there. Went to visit um, Hanga Tea Room, which Pat came with me to last time. It's actually the United States' first dim sum restaurant. Right. It was started in 1920. So anyway, we walked in there at like 10 at night and we were like, you guys are closing soon. And they really didn't have much to say to us. They just like waved us to a table super quickly. They threw, like threw menus at us and they were like, go. <laughs> and we were like, okay, it's not like normal dim sum, like a la carte um, or in the cart, like they normally have right, it. Where they bring it's, out carts and just like let you pick. Yeah, yeah. Hang On is very, very anal about fresh product. So right. they don't do the cart thing because they don't want something that's been sitting out for 30 minutes to go in your mouth. Right. Um, and people can make jokes about what I just said if you like. Anyway. I already have so like hang four on. of them in my head. If you're in San Francisco, <laughs> you're in by Knob Hill. It's in Chinatown. Go check it out. It's, it's delicious. Yeah. I had one of their barbecue pork buns. That's what they're oh, famous for. Oh, dude, their bar- barbecue pork buns are so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, delicious. I love San Francisco. You guys go to San Francisco. Just so, do it. Anyway, um, we got like a bajillion things to talk about today. Yeah, let's jump right um, into it. What do we got? I mean, Start. one of the first things that we can talk about in correlation to sort of San Francisco or California in general is, you know, RIP Nipsey Hussle. A lot of people don't even know who this so guy Nipsey is. So Nipsey Hussle is a person. Yes. Right? Um, I actually found out about who he was through my foodie gram. I had so many of the restaurants that I follow that are out of Los Angeles because a ton of the fusion restaurants that are like the best mm-hmm. in the country are in Los Angeles. So do you think Los Angeles should rename themselves Flavortown? Probably. Okay. And then let's just hope that Guy Fieri, Guy Fieri never shows up. He lives in the Bay Area though. Does he? Yeah. Yikes. Okay. I didn't see him. Thank God. Uh, but anyway, Nipsey Hussle was super awesome. He was uh, actually biological cousins with Snoop Dogg and Nate Dogg. And if you listen to any of his music or even just look at the dude, you can tell he's related to both of them and you can hear that he's related to both of them. So Mm. um, anyway, he was just a huge influence on the Los Angeles community. That's how I found out about him through all these like small food places and stuff is that he was like notorious for being catered, like having catering like brought to his pre-existing establishments and companies from small businesses and was just very supportive of small businesses in general. I think, mm-hmm. let me pull up this image really quickly. Um, the total projected value of investments for community tech and lifestyle ventures that Nipsey Hussle was involved in in his lifetime is $210,413,500,000. Wait, so how do they measure that? There's a timeline that's in a pie chart that you can look up online if you want to check out his contributions, but it lists all of the nonprofit organizations and um, tech ventures, lifestyle ventures, community ventures that he started and spearheaded and paid for himself. And also it it is estimated that he hired, assisted, or impacted 41,000 people throughout the process of this. So. Very cool guy. I can see now why all these small businesses were posting 
RIP about a rapper that I was right. just like, why all these, right. why do all these taco places care so much about this rapper? Cause he cared about them. Great. So that's really cool. That's super cool. And probably like, you know, I didn't know about him and until he died and until you brought him up to me. I know. I hate to say and that, but it's true. Yeah. But I, you know, I started after he, after his death and after you brought it up to me, I started seeing it more and more online, whether it be on Reddit or on other news outlets, uh, mentioning his passing, you know, and digging further into the guy. I mean, he's really, really a great person. And it's one of those things, you know, that you don't really appreciate that that type of a person when they're here and they're more appreciated when, when they're gone or more known when they're gone. Um, and, it's unfortunate you know, be, that's the way it is, though. It's unfortunate that that is the way it is, but um, he will be missed. And now that I know about him, I kind of want to dive back and check out some of his music and, you know. It's honestly, I don't mean to pigeonhole him and say he sounds exactly like Snoop Dogg, but you can just hear the tam- the timbre of their voices. Sure, so yeah. similar. I, I love it. Well, you know what? Like, people love Snoop Dogg, so if you have twice the discography of Snoop Dogg, great. Bring yeah. it on. <laughs> Bring it on, man. Yeah. I love it. That's fantastic. Um, All right, what so else? So kind of segueing into this when we're talking about hip-hop, we talk a lot to, in today's interview with um, Andrew, or Wicked the Instigator, about the remix culture and where hip hop comes from and this and that. And I was actually just watching a documentary on Netflix about Robert Johnson, uh, the blues player, and Muddy Waters. And they also yeah, talk about original jazz guys. players yeah. and things like that. Um, and I thought Quincy Jones, so, so yesterday was uh, International Jazz Day. So yeah. that would be Tuesday, this last Tuesday that just passed. Quincy Jones had something really cool to say about an experience that he had that I wanted to read on here really quick. Um, so for those who don't know, Quincy Jones was the producer of Thriller. He was Michael Jackson. So Quincy Jones was Michael Jackson's producer. He's produced a ton of music. He's a jazz legend in his own right. He's the type of guy that would be in engineering and production sessions. I subscribe to this magazine that's like super nerdy called Tape Op. And it's a free subscription. If you are a nerdy engineer type, look it up and subscribe to it. But there's a dude who was his assistant engineer. Uh, I think his name is Bruce something or another, who's actually from Minneapolis mm. and has talked about his time with Quincy Jones during the Thriller recording sessions, or I, I believe it was actually the Off the Wall recording session, which was Michael Jackson's first solo album. And he was so blown away by Quincy Jones as a producer uh, he had one story that sticks out with me that he told where he was recording like a 30-piece orchestral, you know, segment. And he'd be listening to it, you know, in live time while they're recording it and then would stop the recording and be like, you know, violin, second chair, you're playing an A, it needs to be a D, stuff like that. And that, <laughs> like, he would be right, too. Well, and like, that's course. how crazy his ear is. Yeah, they don't. They are definitely not a dime a dozen when it comes to that kind no. of stuff. That reminds me of James Brown and how he used to yeah. be able to snap at somebody because he would he hear, hear like the fifth trumpet be off, and yeah, he would exactly. just like point one finger at them, and that meant five, five bucks off. off. Yeah. Peace out. Yep. And um, so Quincy Jones, you might be for those people who are not like jazz aficionados or music nerds who listen to this podcast, you might recognize him from his like small role. I, th- I believe it was season two of Master of None. He had a few. Yeah, he Cameos. was in there shortly. Um, and then 
I mean, I think his most no- notable work is probably Thriller. Probably, yeah. Or, that people would be most familiar with. But sure. he has been in the music business like heavily since like 1955. Yeah. And not a little known fact for everyone, I would say, but something I was interested to find out a couple years ago is that his daughter is Rashida Jones. Yeah. The actor. Yeah. So um, anyway, they have the cutest relationship ever, by the way. She comes to like all of his Grammy, like all his Grammys performances or not performances uh, but all his nominations yeah. and acknowledgments right. like she comes to all of he that won, and they're like, the cutest like, like lifetime achievement award i think recently in the past like four or five years yeah probably. and she made the cutest post ever about it but yeah. anyway they're adorable anyway here's um his little experience from way early in his jazz career while living in Paris, the legendary Scout record executive John Hammond connected me with Stanley Chase, the producer of uh, Harold Arlen and Johnny Mercer's show that was slated to open in Utrecht, called Free and Easy. I was asked to assemble a big dream band and to take them to Europe for the rehearsals and then take it to Broadway. So they worked in Utrecht for two months, then the cast and the crew of nearly 70 people went to Amsterdam, Brussels, and then Paris, where we were faced with disaster. We opened at the Alhambra Theater in Paris right as the Algerian crisis hit, and we could hear machine gunfire outside during rehearsals. Police soldiers roamed the streets, and there was a notice on the front page of the Herald Tribune that said, any swarthy complexioned person is advised to stay off the street after six in the evening. It was 1959, and we would be stopped by soldiers with cocked machine guns on our route to and from the theater. Needless to say, the show closed. The producer called a meeting and told us the plane is leaving on Saturday. If you miss that flight, you're stuck here. But I couldn't stand it. I told the band to give me one day, and instead they stuck with me for 10 months, and we traveled through Europe like the vagabonds we were with no plan, agent, money, manager, or itinerary. We gigged wherever we could. We traveled by bus, train, car, and even traveled on foot at one point in Yugoslavia. This clip that's featured with this, if you go check out his Instagram, by the way, um, is of a performance that was happening during this time that he's talking about, but I'll continue into what he was saying here. Um, Looking back on this once-in-a-lifetime band, I wouldn't have traded it for anything, even though I dug myself in a larger debt than I ever could have imagined, which took me seven years to pay off. Almost lost my sanity, life under the pressure, trying to pay off everything, the house, feed 30 musicians with no money. I learned my lessons, but even more importantly, we witnessed the power of jazz as a uniting force. Happy International Jazz Day. So yeah, happy International Jazz Day. That's a really cool story. I loved reading that. And you know, you sent that to me earlier today and I read it and I watched it. And then there's like a really cool, if you go to that Instagram post, there's a really cool map that accompanies it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you see like- Everywhere they went. Everywhere they went, which is so fucking cool. Yeah, so go look at Quincy Jones' Instagram today. It's totally worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, In the music world, again, a couple of cool things are happening lately, obviously. We've got festival season ramping up and things like that, and lots of new artists that are kind of making a big headway. Mm-hmm. First one that people out of Minneapolis are totally stoked about right now, of course, is that Lizzo's album is number two on iTunes right now, and that's above Beyonce's Homecoming and Billie Eilish's Where Do We When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Wow. That's unbelievable to me. That's so cool. That's so cool for Minneapolis. You know, like when I worked in the music industry here, we used to always joke around whether it was myself for Universal Music Group or my cohorts at Sony or mm-hmm. WIA, which is Warner Electric Atlantic. We used to always talk about Minneapolis being a snow globe, and we call it the snow globe mentality, which is you can be king of the hill, king of the snow hill in Minneapolis and be big shit, be a big you deal. go anywhere else and nobody knows who Nobody you are. knows the fuck yeah. you are. So kudos to you, Lizzo. Good for you for expanding our brand. There's very few people 
throughout the history of Minneapolis music. And we have a, a very, very, very stellar music scene here. Mm-hmm. It's very vibrant. It's very awesome. But there are very few people who will, you know, take the leap of faith to get out there and Definitely. put their music out there. So good for Lizzo. And that's that's amazing. man. She's absolutely killing it lately. She was listed as one of the top three um, performances at Coachella, which we'll go into in just a second. Mm-hmm. But something else crazy that's happened in the last month here is that um, I think Lizzo has surpassed this in terms of singles right now because her album was released post to this happening. But um, Khalid or Khalid, not DJ Khalid, because he's See, not the best. Um, no, K-H-L-I-D or K-H-A-L-I-D, not yeah. E-D. Okay, okay. <laughs> the Amazing Singer. He held all top fl- five slots for Billboard top singles. That has never happened for one artist in the history of Billboard. So you're saying I got to go listen to his music. He's fantastic. Okay. I, he does a really good song with Brass Tracks called Whirlwind. Really? Yeah. If was that part of the top five? No, it wasn't. This is an older song, but he just released a new album. Where's he from? Um, I'm not sure, know? to be honest. I really want to dig into it. So you, like you guys, I'm getting old. I don't know new music and it's hard for me to like take the time to listen to new music. Whereas when I was like 18, 19, that would be all I would do. And yeah. Now I have to make the effort. Yeah, he held all f- top five spots on the Hot R&B Songs chart, and not, uh, his number one, Better, was on there for 14 weeks. I'm really? pretty sure that it might still be. So anyway, Dang. that's just uh, unprecedented. It's cool to see all these musicians breaking these boundaries right now, and yeah, especially ones that tight. are actually talented, because I love Khalid. He's a fantastic artist, fantastic singer, and seems like a really cool person, honestly. Great. Um, so, so talking about that, we can go back to the whole Lizzo thing with Coachella. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which article I read about this the other day, but they had, you know, listed the top three acts of Coachella in their opinion. And obviously Beyonce's homecoming was one of them. Lizzo's performance was one of them where anybody who knows anything about her probably saw the virality of her music cutting out in the middle of her Coachella set and how her and her backup dancers continue to flawlessly execute the entire song acapella. Mm. So... Pretty cool. It's fucking cool. Yeah. You got to be a badass to do that. Yeah. Um, and so that's awesome. And then this really blew my freaking mind. So in a whole nother genre, moving away from the pop culture, Gasofelstein. Shout what? Out, What's that name? Shout out to Ghost Channels. Mike Ryersey is one of, it's, it's one of his favorite artists. Gasofelstein is, uh, I believe uh, he's from Germany. I could be wrong, but he's definitely European. Sounds- and uh, he's a techno, tech house, dark techno artist. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he used this thing um, in his stage production called Vanta Black, which is this new material that has been introduced recently and not a- affordable by any means. But they decided to deck the entire stage out in Vanta Black. And what Vanta Black does. So it's a material, it's not like an image. Yes. Okay. And the material, what it does is it completely disguises any 3D features of the plane that you're looking at. Uh, here's a quote from people in from Coachella. People in the audience at Coachella could tell something was, wasn't registering quite right in their brains during Gasofelstein's performance. Quote, this is exactly why we were sober and we thought we were tripping balls. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, people were completely mind blown. Um, it's just this material that turns everything into total darkness and so on a 3D surface, the mind is confused because it knows there should be depth, but the object it appears flat. So that was the entire like, 
purpose of them right. doing this was it was to make it this black hole essentially that you're staring at. And even some of the crew members for Gasoffelstein hurt themselves while they were setting up stage for this because they couldn't see where they were fucking walking. That's ridiculous, man. So anyway, pretty That's so cool. cool though. It's yeah. pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool. Gasoffelstein, check him out. You like techno and uh, that speaking kind of, of stuff. Coachella, I actually I watched I was, you know, I, I wasn't at Coachella because I can't afford a thousand dollars to go take Instagram photos of myself. So I was just like sitting at home watching the uh, live streams and I was watching with a friend one night and we were watching the techno stage or like the uh, DJ stage and it was pretty cool. And we were watching, it was funny cause she goes, I don't know this guy. I think he's from the UK or whatever. His name is Idris Albi. Idris Elba? And it was Idris Elba. Yeah. And and I was like, oh, yeah, no, I know him. So we were watching it, and we were, like, getting into it, and it was, like, really cool. Dude, Idris like, Elba just started his own label, actually. Yeah. A new a new techno label. Yeah. And so he, yeah, performed at Coachella. And yeah. weirdly enough, I got a video from Balkan Bump. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who was, like, it, it was just a weird story that just said Idris. And I was like, yeah. Idris Elba? I yeah, no, like, he was at Coachella. Serious? I, like, knew that this was happening, but to see it actually happening was, like, whoa. That's yeah. freaking awesome. And we're, we're kicking it, watching it, and all of a sudden, it cut off, like, at 1130 at night. And I was like, it's just mid-set, just cut off. And we're like, we'll see you back tomorrow. What? And I'm like, what the fuck? Doesn't this, like, <laughs> stage go till like, 4 in the morning, If it's a the techno morning? stage, it probably never yeah, stops. It probably never stops. So yeah. I was, like, really bummed out. I'm like, okay. Well, that sucks, dude. I know. I was really getting into it. And it was, like, Man. halfway through his set, and it was just, like, ramping up. Crazy. Yeah. But it was, sounded really good, you know? Yeah, I'm interested album. to hear some of the things that are coming out on his label. I know that Golf Clap, shout out Golf Clap Detroit, um, is doing a release on Idris Elba's are they? label here soon. Cool. So They just played in Minneapolis, and apparently it was dope. I, they're amazing, dude. I, I'm very much hoping to finish our collab soon. Oh, you got a collab with them going? I mean, oopsie. Um, I love the, the Golf Clap boys. They're fantastic. Uh, but anyway, moving on from things I can talk about. Right, right. Um, I was reading an article today that was completely appalling. Apparently, 40,000 songs are being uploaded to Spotify now a day. That's appalling? A day. What, why do you find it appalling? Because there's too much noise out there? Well, that and just the sheer volume of that is unprecedented. I don't do think, think any other like streaming website has ever experienced such volume like that. And I think it largely has to do with the fact that Spotify is cutting out the middleman and allowing people to directly upload now, to Spotify. Now, do you feel now. it's like going to be low quality stuff that's going to be out there that you're That's another through? thing that I'm wondering about. I'm wondering if they're filtering things and like what, where is the, you know, is there anybody monitoring this? But at the same time, it doesn't really matter at all. I feel like you can distribute anything, even if you do go through a middleman. Look at Wolfpack. Look at their album Sleep. They had silence for like 10 tracks and they, nobody filtered that. They put it right. up and they played a joke on the entire world. Like, right. So I have to imagine though that that can be pretty frustrating for people who are listening to like Spotify radio algorithms that might kick in a track that's Terrible. Terrible, and the production value is low. Yeah, I mean, like, I hope there's, like, some sort of algorithm that is, like, only matching commercial quality with other commercial quality, but we'll see. We'll what, see. How it really unfolds. Uh, another thing see. that's kind of happening that was strange for me to see in terms of, like, large streaming websites is that Bandcamp has just started a new vinyl production service. Mm -hmm. So you can print vinyl records now through Bandcamp. Great, and that's awesome. Yeah, good I think that is pretty cool. And I think that's a good market for because, them to tap like, at. No other streaming industries are doing any sort of like merchandising. I, mean, I think that's brilliant for Bandcamp because Bandcamp has, is one of those websites and services that, yes, you can distribute your music. And yes, the website itself is a little archaic 
looking because it hasn't really changed so much in the last like eight years. But they also allow uh, you know artists to have their own merchandise page, right? So you can have not only like buy this track, buy all my music type page, but you can also and say donate. Which yeah, is you my have a donate page. Feature. But there's also uh, a separate page where you can sell merchandise. Like Flamingosis would sell pink. Uh, frisbees and he had cassettes for a while and he had vinyls and stuff. I bought stuff. a t-shirt off yeah, of that. Yeah, he bought a t-shirt. So <laughs> this is super dope where you don't have to now manufacture your vinyls because of the, the and it still is very highly niche market for vinyl uh, collectors, right? And it's it's up and coming, but it's still, yes, it is more than it was, but it's still very highly niche. Oh, it's definitely niche. And so for you to have like an all-in-one uh, shop for that where you can say yes produce my vinyl and sell it that is awesome yeah i don't That's know how so the awesome. distribution goes i think they just send you the product and you're still in charge of distribution but well this segues perfectly into today's guest who is a vinyl dj today yeah. we have da 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 wicket the instigator our first guest tonight is introducing special guest you're listening to green room podcast What's up? This is Wicked the Instigator. You're listening to the Green Room Podcast. Thank you. 
Oh, All right, so this week we've got Andrew Owsley, a.k.a. Wicked the Instigator, um, hey, not hey. the investigator, which I've <laughs> no. heard people say before. Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, just, not, just, not just people, but journalists. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're like, so no, good. Embarrassing. It, it, they're so good I mean, at that's kind of where it, that's kind of where it came from is seeing like, and it'd be like a really nice article. It'd be like, here's why Rick at the Investigator is my new favorite guy or whatever. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, well, I, favorite, I, I, pre- right. I appreciate that, but <laughs> you know, so it puts you in a weird position. Seriously, it's like when people book, try to book me and they spell my na- name M E A G A N or put an extra H in there, and I'm like. Did, oh, did you look yeah. at any of my socials when you thought maybe you'd want to book me? It's huh. not hard. It's know. not hard to keep like one extra tab open, especially <laughs> when you're doing things like making flyers. Like you, like you're just not even gonna look. <laughs> you're like, eh, let's go for it. Fuck it. Yeah. You've let's had, put two H's. Let's put two coming. H's. Let's put two H's in. Oh it. my Who cares? god, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah, I uh, think the first time that I actually met you in person is when we toured together through, I think, a little of Wisconsin and then up to Duluth through Elevated Entertainment about yes. two or three years ago. I was at that show. You were there. Yeah, we, there. All dr- we drove together all weekend, and you were is exhausted. That, is that, now, I don't know if this is the same thing you're talking about. Is that when we were supposed to stay at a house, but the house had zero furniture. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, that was it. And then they oh like, Oh my God, that was so terrible. It was like blow up mattresses that they found. I I'm not trying to, I don't, I don't want to be Mr. Complainy pants, but no dude, Pat, but, I, but, I, but it's funny. Up, Cause it's like, we didn't know. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like, okay. It's like, yes, this is a house, but yeah. Someone yeah, was, was like, like, Hey, we're going to give you a house. Like when you come up here, because I just bought it and or whatever, and you can totally <laughs> stay in it. And we walk in, and there's no furniture, so we're just like, okay, uh, air mattress time. That- and then you were exhausted, dude, so you wanted to take a nap um, up until sound check or something. And so I felt so bad just leaving you in this like spec yeah. house with a air mattress, like half deflated air mattress I'm, in the middle of the floor. I need naps. I, I just, I need everybody to understand that I'm usually like 10 years older than everybody else I'm around. So <laughs> I feel like I need, I need a little bit more nappage. I, I, I hear that dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Air mattresses are rough too. I mean, let's not, let's be honest. That's a raft. Right. I, yeah, I agree. I think after that after that show, when we went back to that house, there was like people up and about, and like the, some of the bouncers of or like the beefcake guys were, um, they were like sleeping on couches and or like they had found some weird air mattress, like inflatable couch type things. Yeah, or the floor. And, well, I took an Ambien for the only time ever in my life and fell asleep on the floor because there was no spots <laughs> ever. And I woke up the next day. I'm I'm gonna come clean here, you guys, on this. I woke up the next day and I really had to take a shit. And I went upstairs to a bathroom and they were like remodeling this whole house and I used a toilet I shouldn't have and just walked out. <laughs> was it just a toilet? <laughs> was it the toilet like hooked up to the plumbing? I don't recall if it was. I think that's why I it was. I think it didn't flush is I what didn't he's saying. Flush. And yeah. so you just decided to abandon that problem. I mean, yes. I mean, I just uh, in your def- in your defense, that, that was sort of the situation you were put in. Yeah. I mean, I didn't yeah. really know what to do. There was no. There I mean, was no you rules. don't. When somebody says, um, "You know, I got a house you can stay at," you don't think to ask things like, "Is there a, like somewhere I might be able to poop at some point?" Like you just <laughs> usually, usually that is inclusive with you know with house. 
Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not that's not things you think to like check on. You know, but right. then it you, seems it's like you and, then, and put- then when people and that's why people are like, hey, that's when people are like, why do some people have like all green M and M's in their rider? And it's like that. There's there are reasons they have yes. got to that point. Yes, they, that's you know there and it's and it's things like that. They'll be like toilet that flushes. Yeah. Why would you? Put, you know they don't know I that was there's. Just there's gonna say I'm gonna put yeah, that in my. Yeah, rider. do we have to have like that yeah, in the rider now, like, like a gotta, usable toilet? You got to understand there are they're just there are they're predicaments to, to you know. And when you're traveling, you are at other people's mercy a lot. And, right. And, you know, it's funny. I think that we've <laughs> talked about this on the podcast before. The original reason why the, the, the first people who did that was Van Halen uh, with their M&Ms. They wanted, like, all the M&M colors separated. And, and it was to make sure that, that, that the people were on top of their shit. It exactly. Was, you know, they had, like, uh, such high, you know, powered, um, you know, electronics on their stage show for for that era that if anything was, like, done wrong, they could get electrocuted and died you yes. know uh, electrocuted and died electrocuted and dead <laughs> yes and so that's why well, they put electrocuted that in and dead is, is double bad yeah double, i don't and think died. that you fixed that at all <laughs> well, well whatever electrocuted yes. and die that's like <laughs> getting it, okay. that's like getting decapitated and murdered yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, murdered, uh, murdered. Um, but yeah like no but yeah I, you know, people bring up the, the green M M&M and M thing is the one always people bring up, and it's like, yeah, no, it's not. It's not that they love all green M and Ms, and it's not that they're just being like dicks. It's it is that's sort of like the litmus test for like has any stone been left unturned? Right. You know, if they you got know, that part right, that they read right. it thoroughly, and you can go on stage without being decapitated and murdered. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one. I mean, I can handle one. I don't think I can handle both at my age. No. <laughs> no. That's it's a rough combo. <laughs> so you just put out some OG tracks recently, didn't you? Uh. Yeah. I've, yeah. I put out a. Um. I put out about four or five. I think so far this year. I'm just. I don't really have a plan. I'm just kind of putting them out as they come. Dope. Yeah. I feel like I am used to seeing you doing lots of dope ass remixes and things like that. And it's cool to see you um, just coming back to like the original, like hip hop. I mean, your sound, you know what it is. Um, uh, yeah. 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 I, I like to do, um, you know, I like to do both. And um, I mean, and honestly, like right now the the remix thing's kind of tough. I feel like, I've, I feel like the remix culture has been boxed out a little bit uh, for, for the moment. But I mean, I think that they'll, figure out a new a new way to do that but yeah i mean you know i can't put whatever i want out on soundcloud anymore and you know all that good stuff and but i love making original music uh anyway um you know i i don't i don't want to be just like a one trick pony and so i like putting out the the og stuff too um you know a lot of times it doesn't it doesn't make as big of a splash but that's fine because you know it's like I know that people that are digging it are, are digging it. So, yeah, but, for sure. Uh, I think remixes are just more like interesting. It's a little bit more. I mean, I, I know for me, if if somebody was like, "Hey, do you want to check out this cool song I made?" and if they said, "Hey, I made a mashup album based around like Super Mario Brothers," I'd be like more inner. I'd be like, "I want to hear the Super Mario Brothers shit right now," you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I get it. You know, it's a ma- like mashups or remixes and stuff. They're they're interesting because they involve something you're already familiar with instead of introducing you to something 
completely new. But which is a good way yeah. to introduce people to something new over time, which is like exactly kind of what you were saying. That, you know, yeah. like remixes play their part and then you can still do your own thing. And people are familiar with your remixes so they can kind of segue themselves into that. You actually are re- very, like very impressive in terms of being a an artist who has a fair share of remixes and mashups and shit, um, that your SoundCloud is, it has 80,000 followers and it's still here. You know, like RIP yeah. J-Pod, J-Pod the Beat Chef and his poor SoundCloud getting ripped and, down because of the copyright storm of 2016 or whatever. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've, there's a lot have been taken down too. Um, I've lost, uh, there's a lot, I've, I've lost a lot. Um, that sounds so. That sounds so dramatic. Um, it's true, um, though. Well, so I kind of i I kind of figured out, and it's kind of. I mean, it's obvious, but I kind of figured out along the way that like the newer and hotter a song is, the more danger it is to fuck with it. As right. far as as far as things like SoundCloud, so you know, um, like the very first thing I ever had removed from SoundCloud was uh, I woke up one morning at like seven in the morning, which is rare. And, uh, <laughs> I, um, so yeah, I woke, I woke up feeling good too. I woke up ready to go. And, um, Kanye had just released the song click. You remember that song? Yeah. It's been, a, it's been, a, it's been a minute. It's been years, but it was like uh, him and maybe big Sean or whatever. And Jay Z that ain't nobody messing with my click. Anyway, he had like just dropped it. And it was, so the song was about 30 minutes old and I was like, I'm going to remix this song like right now. Mm-hmm. and i'm gonna like finish it today and like i was trying to like i was kind of like doing the opposite of what i normally do i normally like to look for the songs that no one is remixing or no one is touching and then, and then do that one but i wanted to uh, that day i w- like everything was different that day i woke up super early and i wanted to throw my hat into the like remix the brand new hot song and anyway like long story short it it got taken down and it was because it was a song that was like currently charting and it was new. Mm-hmm. And so things like that, your Drake, your two chains, a lot of those, whatever, mm-hmm. those are going to get taken down. You know, the ones that are still up or things like, you know, maybe like Wu-Tang Clan or, or like Van Halen, like we we're talking about Van Halen. I have a jump remix. It's still up. It's so I, I think that songs that are a little bit older um, aren't being like policed as quite as much because it's all kind of automated Right. I feel like it goes through waves as well, too, though. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, I'll feel like, okay, like, I have a booty channel. Do you have a booty channel, by the way? A bootleg yeah, channel? Yeah, to, like, kind of, like, test it out. So there was, a, there was a time when they were actually, like, deleting accounts. I don't think they do that anymore. Like the, the- They don't? Okay, I was wondering about that because, like, I defo have one flag on my regular account. Um, no, I, I, I rem- I'm sorry, sorry go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> hey jinx um no i think what happened was is after a couple of like really big artists lost their i don't remember what artist specifically but like you know like like somebody like dead mouse or something uh, it wasn't him but somebody on that tier but you know like lost their soundcloud and made a big stink about it you know um mm-hmm. so i think that yeah they had used to have like a strike system and so many strikes they would delete your account and now I think all they do is it just either accepts it or rejects it instantly. But if well, it rejects it, I don't think it's keeping any kind of tally. I don't know that for sure. So. Well, it, it's funny because you were just saying um, about like how it might not 
uh, catch some of the older tunes and it might just be like some of the newer songs, but I just did like a, like a live edit that I was working on and I, I posted it to, um, my account and made it private. And I just wanted to send it over to a couple of friends to see how they like, you know, if the drums were fitting and everything. And it instantly rejected it because it was just like an old song. And there what? was like, it, it was a Cornelius Brothers song from like the 70s. Well, there's 70s. been all these hacks about how to prevent that and stuff. And one yeah. of them is um, push the track forward 10 seconds. Oh, sure. And that, because it, the rumor is that the algorithm on SoundCloud is only monitoring the first 10 seconds of the upload to see mm. if there's any copyrighted material in it and running it through a database. Ah. Um, it used to be that they'd give you a flag if you already had something like presently posted and stuff. Oh. And if you got three strikes, you're out. That's what I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So then they changed that. But also I remember when that scare happened and I had several remixes on my, um, SoundCloud. So I went and tried to privatize all of the ones that I wanted to keep the files of that Mm. I didn't have the project files for anymore just so that I still had them, but they weren't publicized and I still got a strike for one of them. Right. So even privatizing tracks that no one is even listening to it, uploading at all, they literally don't allow it. Yep. That's that's exactly what happened to me. That happened to me for a couple of two. I don't know. You know, I don't, it's not that I think that older songs are foolproof. It's that I think that like new hit songs are, are probably more dangerous. Right. Um, And I, I think a lot of it, depends on like what label they're on and, and for sure. And, uh, you know, and I don't know, there's, I've, I've, I've tweaked things. Like I did a, I have a, <laughs> almost like I'm jinxing myself talking about this shit, but I have a, I think it's still out there. I have like a Beatles and Beastie Boys, like 10 minute, like mashup, like mini mix that's still on SoundCloud, but like, on like the Sergeant Pepper, there's like so it's basically like four like four different mashups in one little mix, and one of them is the music is from Sergeant Pepper, and I was you know I was actually sampling, you know the actual song to make like to make the beat, mm-hmm. and I I had the vocals, I had the Beatles vocals in the song, um, actually singing the Sergeant Pepper chorus, and then it would go into like the Beastie Boys rapping. And so it flagged that. So I took the Beatles vocals out, but left the actual Beatles music in and then it worked. So it's like, and, 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 and here's the thing, all that is silly and unnecessary. And, (laughs) and, and, and and I think that there needs to be a system in place for remix artists. I would happily pay a 20, $30 one time fee Right. That goes to whatever label or goes to whoever owns the masters of the song or whatever to be able to stream a remix because I feel good about what I do. Like I've, you know, my, my work's been validated. I've had, you know, I've, I've had like artists, rock bands and stuff come ask me and hire me to mash their stuff up. So it's like, I feel like what I'm doing is paying homage and and at least right. comp, or at least complimentary to the original mm-hmm. artist. I don't think it's thievery. I don't think it's me like jacking some song and being like, check out my song. Which you know, in the early days of rap music, there was a little bit of that going on. They would completely right. just jack somebody's total beat, and then they would release a song and not mention. You know, a lot of early rap songs are mashups. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just, I mean, they just weren't calling them that. So so. Uh, so when I say when everything's getting credited, when I upload a mashup and I don't I say this is Beatles versus Beastie Boys, blah 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 blah. Everything is labeled, the posterity's all there. I'm not selling it. 
I just want people to be able to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And if there was a fee to pay, I don't want to sit, I don't want to spend my time trying to defeat algorithms, but it's like, I'm, but I'm, that's me kind of like fighting to survive, to do something I believe in. That's not me fighting to try to get away with something I think is illegal or sketchy. That's me trying, right. that's me trying to share something with people that I think is, is good and just. And like, I think, um, you know, I think remix culture is a good thing. And, and, you know, like I, like one of the reasons I love to remix songs like uh, like Walk the Line by Johnny Cash is like, you know, I've played festivals before and not, and where I've got a thousand kids like throwing the fuck down to some Johnny Cash and there's not re- the remix aspect of that equation is necessary. It, you right. can't just play the original versions of some of these old songs in the middle of a DJ set and, and expect it to be high energy or whatever. So in some ways if I, if we want to still honor and celebrate a lot of older artists and stuff like that, read the, the remix part of it is, is crucial. Like it's, it's, I feel like it's, it's, you know, it's helping, it's an aid. So. Um, I think that's right. totally right. Yeah, I mean, there's that it, the debate of, you know, is, does originality even exist anymore in the very first place? And that's a whole nother kind of can of worms. But um, like, I was shocked at the amount of people who, when I was working with my last project, uh, Menage Quad, who I, we sampled a Parav Stellar uh, beat called Booty Swing, I think, and <laughs> we rapped on it and had a hook on it, and I rearranged it and added some more bass elements and this and that. And uh, we totally credited him in all of the descriptions of everything, but it, we're a hip-hop group. Hip-hop was, like, born of sampling. Right. And right. I was appalled at how many people just called me a, a ripoff and a sellout and a bullshit producer and that I had just completely stolen a song and just sang on it and how dare I do that and I was right. just like okay no. so what do you think that you know Hip-hop. Kanye is doing what do you think that everybody what do you think hip-hop I mean, artists are doing that's what they were doing for like the beginning of the that's what they were doing from the beginning of time like that's how hip-hop was like you know that that's where it came from Exactly. Was, was remixing these old songs or keeping these records on and just having people rap over them. And then for like the first arguably, you know, 12 years of that genre, it like that's what it was. And then all of a sudden uh, Paul's Boutique came out by the Beastie Boys and it just had so much. I'm pretty sure that Paul's Boutique has the most amount of samples in it of like any other record ever. Yeah, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure you're right because that was the that was the one that start started the whole like um, sampling copyright controversy because there was so much and like nobody's been able to aff- you know afford that many samples. It's since true, then. but that yeah. being said, um, this is a little tangential. But the Avalanches have had an album done now for like about I think I want to say about ten years or something. Yeah. That they're still clearing samples for, but it's supposed to have more samples on it than Paul's Boutique. Really? Yeah, and Grammatic is actually also dealing with the same issue that the Avalanches are having. He th- he's been done with his album for a hot minute now, and he's just waiting and paying and yeah. going through all the processes to get mm-hmm. it to a point where he can actually distribute it. It's mm-hmm. out, it's unbelievable how much goes there into that. A- I want to do it legitimately. Mm-hmm. There was a Fat Boy Slim interview that I saw where he was he was talking about that. Um, the Rockefeller skank and he was there's still like a few samples in there that he won't say where they're from because he's kind of gotten away with it this long but like he uh like but but they're but most of the main samples in it have been kind of uh 
like retroactively cleared or whatever. So he was like, yeah, the vocal is this and the little surf guitar is that. Mm -hmm. And they would be like, well, what's such and such? And he'd be like, well, Uh, I can't can't talk about that one. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Yeah, it's really. Well, I think like the the analogy I make is like remixing is kind of like graffiti. It can either be like, a beautiful piece of art that took talent to make, or it can be like vandalizing someone's property. That's, that's a great, that's a great comparison. That's a perfect comparison. I think a lot of people that just jack things who just crudely make edits and aren't, and you know, they'll take, uh, they'll take acapellas of people singing and they'll have it all out of key and shit. And I I think that, uh, you know, I think that hurts because when you, when we talk about things like, like Paul's boutique and stuff like that, it's, they were, they made something new out of the samples Mm -hmm. for, you know, for, for the most part. So it was, you know, when, when sampling is done right, even if you, even if you can still recognize some of the samples, I know you can obviously take something and flip it so hard that you could never, ever tell, but even, even sampling something in a way where you can still tell what the original sample is, there's still an art to that. There right. is, and, and I, also, and I, sorry about that. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, there's also there's, there's an art to to providing something that people are familiar with, and also yeah. still making it something that's yours. And so, I think that that's where the line is really drawn between kind of what you're saying, like vandalizing the property or like paying homage to something like that. Like yeah. a lot of the <clears throat> remix contests that I've been involved in on the artist side, where I've distributed vocals or whatever. Um, you know, and like a few drums and and maybe the bass synth or something like that. And we've ran remix contests. Mm-hmm. I, I'm appalled at how many people will submit remixes that are essentially a reproduction of the track that we made in the very first place. Right. And that it's not a remix. It's just mm-hmm. um, you do you trying to make the same thing over again. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, you know, there. and you can run into that same problem like when you like collab with people sometimes too yeah it's no, like definitely. they you know they'll add like a hi-hat and be like all right there's my contribution yeah. like, cool thanks um, but so you're a feature but, now <laughs> but yeah um so and so on the hi-hat but yeah you know but but yeah like you said there there's an art to to making it yours too but um if you you know and when if I say complete, making it yours, I don't mean that like you know taking. The yeah, same making it or making it your own. Yeah, making it your own vibe, your own style. But like, because here's the thing: what the ulterior option or the the alternative option is? What if we completely did away with remix culture? Think about think about how much music that people would never dance to again or would never hit a dance floor again. Right. If if or or at least how how you know, how less it, it would happen. And, and like, uh, not to keep bringing up my own remix, but like walk the line. That's a, that's a song that never really hit dance floors to begin with. That was a, that was a hit song and a legendary iconic song, but it wasn't a dance song, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's even, you're taking songs that weren't initially like party dance songs and making them like party dance songs. So it's like, is the alternative to be would be to take away all that. And then there's a whole lot less celebrating of old music. And, right. um, and as a, and, and growing up as a big hip hop head, once as a hip hop fan, you hit that phase where you 
you just want to start knowing where like everything came from, like who sampled what. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're listening to, to like Bob James and P funk and you, and like it, it can, if you become a fan of hip hop and really d- dig in, you, you initially will become, or eventually will become a fan of all this other music that you never would have known about. Right. Um, right. That's completely you know. true. And, and that and is me in now, a nutshell. To kind of like expand off of what you're saying, I think you're going this direction and what I've been like, how I think about it with like um, you saying some songs have never hit the dance floor before um, and they never would because of the genre that they're in. And what I think is really cool uh, from a performer's perspective when you're doing that type of stuff is that it's almost like not only are you paying homage to the uh, these artists that might never get on the dance floor, but you're also educating another generation of people who may never have been exposed to this music before. And right. then they can go dig in. It's like getting, and getting back to the Beastie Boys. They had one of their tracks, I think it was the album After Paul's Boutique, which I thought was really cool because I recognized the sample. It's like a Jimi Hendrix-like wah guitar sample kind of like reversed and being able to pick that out uh i thought was so cool from like a nostalgic perspective growing up listening to that hendrix song and then hearing it kind of flipped in the way that they did it and made it their own i thought that was really cool but for somebody who had never listened to hendrix before they might dig into that and be like well what the fuck was that and then all of a sudden now they're listening to the whole hendrix discography and i think that's where i think like the whole the whole um sampling like from legal crackdown from people who own these masters might be doing themselves a disservice pushing that stuff away because you're exposing then that music to a whole nother yeah uh, eventually they're gonna be like please remix our shit right (laughs) Right. you know like you know what like you know like 20 more years yeah they sort of are already to be honest i feel like um me and pat have been kind of talking about interscope lately but specifically for example the Funk Hunters just did an official remix of U2. So if that doesn't say like where yeah. it's sort of headed, I don't really know right. what does. And right. when you see these artists like Charlie Tuna and and Gift of Gab and Lyrics Born collaborating with electronic music artists all across the board, it just, for me, like completely rings true to what you're just saying. Eventually, yeah, I, yeah they're all going to be begging electronic community to be remixing or the hip hop community to be remixing their shit. And like I, and like I was saying earlier, I don't mind there being some like regulations on it either. Like I would totally, I would totally pay a little fee to to be able to like stream remixes and know that they're safe and know that they're not going to get taken down. And yeah. like, uh, you know, I can, um, you know, that it's it's it if you it's using somebody else's paint to make your painting. So okay, I'll pay a little bit for the paint. You know, like exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, because uh, I and I think that's a good compromise. Because I mean, the money's what it all boils down to, and you know. Right. Have you uh, ever done that? Have you ever licensed from a major label a sample that you've used? No, because whenever they tell, <laughs> I've tried to clear samples before. Okay. And uh, what is the process on that? I, I'm curious about. Well, sure so I had, a, I, I had a I had a song once where I was I had a sample of of it was it was Eric Sermon, a rapper, and he was saying he gets wicked. And, uh, and it, so that just, it was those three words and, uh, we, we were putting it out and, uh, I was kind of ready to just sort of like go for it. I was like, it will be fine. But like my manager was wanting to be extra sure. And he's like, let's get it cleared. And 
you go, you know, you go through the publishing or whatever. I mean, honest and honestly, he, he was the one that kind of went through the process. I haven't personally been through the process, but I know that like at the end of the day, they wanted like 1500 bucks up front. And, you know, and I was like, well, we can, I'll just, (laughs) I was like, I'll just recreate it. I'll just, you know, I sent it to like a rapper friend of mine and was just like, just do your best impression of this. It was just like, he gets wicked. And so a buddy of mine just did it. And I was like, okay, boom, you know? So if, uh, it was, it was too, it was too much, I think, because like I could, and I'm sure it's taken on a case to case basis. Cause like if you, cause it's three words of a old song, like it's not, it's not a chorus. It's not a hook. Right. Um, I could, you know, it's, I can understand if you wanted to clear like, you know, like a Dre and Snoop old, like hook, like this and like that and like this or whatever, like right. that's different because it's, that's more iconic, but, or, you know, the intro to Sweet Home Alabama or something. But I was like, just for somebody that said, happened to say he gets wicked in the third verse of some song that existed 20 years ago. Right. You know, an it's old like, EPMD track. That's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, you know, I can't, spend $1,500 every time I want to do something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I wonder what the actual like parameter is on that kind of sample because, you know, I mean, other things like, like this and like that and like this, and that's obviously a lot longer than three words. And I've read articles and I have read, you know, wiki and I've read a lot of different crap in my life about what constitutes someone being able to sue you for the use of a sample. Well, and there are different rumors and, I don't know, different things that like one of the first ones I heard was it can't be longer than two seconds. Right. So in my mind, we get wicked is less than two seconds. There's a, there's seemingly a lot that of, doesn't matter. There's a lot of those. The first one I heard was eight seconds. So I think it that seems pretty forgiving. And a lot of that I think is the telephone game a little bit. Like I know, right. yeah. You know? I think sure. everyone's just feeling around in the dark. <laughs> From my, this is what I understand. My, from my understanding is it's completely 100% illegal to use any bit of anything. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if I, um, but people are going to like, technically, like if, um, if I'm, if I have some old record from the sixties and the drummer hits just a high hat and I'm like, okay, there's my high hat. That's illegal. Are they ever going to know that that's their high hat? No, probably not. You know, so it, it's, it's I personally I it, I do things that are technically illegal if I feel if if I feel good about them then I do them but that's and that's just me but <laughs> I don't think that me there's <laughs> I don't think that there's anything that I don't think there's any two second eight second this that or the other I think just it's I think it's straight up illegal to use any bit of anything and then and then. Like secondarily, I think they just kind of take it on a case by case basis. Right. Um, and also asking for licensing is kind of like, like, okay, for example, when I, I remixed, I remixed a prof song a while ago and I debated for like two days if, if I wanted to tweet it at him or not and be like, yo, check it out yeah. because I'm from Minneapolis too. Cause you risk two things. Either he's going to be like, this is dope as shit. And you know, he's not going to screw me over or I've just directed him fully to copyright infringement and like giving him the exact example of what, how to fuck me over. Yeah. I, I, I know. Yeah. Like you're, you, you're afraid of like, you want to, you want to tweet it at him, but like, what if this is the thing that causes its demise? Yeah. It's almost like mm-hmm. in self-incriminating. It's I think like a, that, it's a Russian I think, roulette. <laughs> I think most of the time it's, it's, 
it's when the management or the label catches wind. Uh, I think it's the you know the artist could have even been like retweeted it and been like this is dope and it could that could still possibly lead to a chain of events exactly they got it yeah in the trouble publishing too. yeah the people who own the publishing might be able to uh, crack down on it because only the artist has their songwriter rights right yeah uh, or something like that it gets there's so much gray area and usually the artist is going to be stoked you know it's like it's more it's it's more buzz for them but yeah. I did, I, I did a, a mashup project a long time ago, and all the uh, all the rappers on there were it was like Biggie and and uh, the Wu Tang Clan, and there was one rapper on there who wasn't very famous. I won't say his name, but I did the thing you're talking about where I, I released the project and I sent it to him, and he kind of like freaked out, and it was the only person that's ever like it was the only artist. And, you know, he's like, you're confusing my fans and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, you know, this is clearly a mashup project. It has Biggie on it. He's been dead for 10 years. Yeah. You know, you know it's like it's like nobody hears like a, a, a Biggie mashup and is like, wait a second. Is he still alive? Yeah. yeah. This, That's um, so dumb. Like, know. sorry I put your name in front of a whole new demographic. Defogra- oh, my God. Demogra- sorry I put your name in front of a whole new demographic, bro. Like, my bad. You're also you're also demographic though. <laughs> you if I you're you're that's that should be uh that should be your new your new name because you're a very photogenic person so so instead of saying photogenic you should say you're demographic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Um, well, we could sit here and talk about remixes forever, man. But I want to talk about like what you got planned for the summer. Do you have anything? Cool coming up, man. Just a just a whole bunch of remixes. No, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm um, just working on new music and playing shows. There's a I've got um, a Reno show coming up. I'm playing the Big Boy After Party, which is going to oh, be tight. be really fun. And uh, about to go to Boston for the first time, which is really odd because I kind of I didn't realize that I'd miss somehow miss Boston. I think I went to Boston on Warp Tour, but that doesn't really count because that means I was in a parking lot 45 minutes outside of Boston. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, for a bunch of children. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, playing shows, working on new stuff. Um, I've been doing a lot of studio work. This uh, the past the past couple of years, I've really uh, forced myself to to buckle down and try to up my 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 studio production game. I. I went several years where I wasn't really watching tutorials and reading. And, and so I got back into a phase where I'm trying to like take in a lot of, uh, you know, technical knowledge and stuff and up my production game. Dude, I was just talking about this with someone about like how we go through these sort of lulls where we are sort of stubborn and don't want to learn new things. And I think we kind of resolved that the reason for that is because in order to learn new things, you have to admit that you don't know them. Sure. You know what I mean? Uh, and- and it's and it's uh you know you gotta you gotta make the balance between when you learn new things it does it doesn't necessarily mean that the stuff you were doing before that wasn't any good you know because right um so sometimes you can learn something that people just like you know they'll say on your master like roll everything off 30 hertz like i can't really that might be a good rule of thumb but i might not be able to tell you probably could tell you with my ears whether or not you've done that (laughs) right you know, like there's, there's things. So, but, but yeah, I, uh, 
what I try to what I'm trying to do is I, I think I can make things eventually sound good, but a lot of times I feel like I'm fumbling around until they sound good. And so I'm trying I want to eliminate the fumbling around. Like when I'm doing shit, I want to know exactly what I'm doing and why. Mm-hmm. Rather than just being like, well, try this, try that. So you know? like it um, tightens up your process more or less. Yeah, I uh I tell you what, to be honest with you, like I um and Megan, you're probably like this too, because I know you play guitar and you play instruments. I was I was the kid that could like play music by ear. I could sit down a piano a guitar and pick out a tune. Uh, the studio production stuff has not come easy to me. That, that side of it has been very challenging for me. So it's like you're, cause when you're the artist and the producer and the mastering engineer and, and every, like you're wearing a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. So, um, especially electronic too, dude. I, I was yeah. on the plane the other day with this woman sitting next to me and we were talking about what we both do. And I said that I, you know, pr- I make music, whatever. I'm a performer and I was touring and <clears throat> she said, so you sing? I said, yeah. And, um, I don't know how this got to this point, but she said, oh, you make the music too? She was so shocked by that. And it kind of like reality checked me back to the rest of the world, like all the other genres. You know, most hip hop artists and most pop vocalists and most like indie people, they're not recording every single instrument and like making their own beats. Like 95% of them are not doing any of that. Their one job is to rap or to sing or to play their instrument. And we have to do all of that. Absolutely. Like, yeah, bands used to, uh, you know, or artists, they, they worked on writing songs. And when their songs were ready, they would take them to the studio. And whoever worked in the studio worried about all that. Like, you know, right. we, you know, when uh, it, people, you know, people have no idea, like electronic artists that are writing music, composing it, and then producing and mixing it. Like, it, we're having to learn every, every, all of it. And it's a lot. And, um, and, you know, I've, for some with with playing music and stuff like that playing instruments always came natural to me um studio stuff i i have to learn things over and over and over again like i, I you know sometimes i i will go back and read um just a basic rundown on um you know like something as simple as compression or something like make sure that i'm still picturing all this right in my head right and um you know, I have to stay at it. If I stay at it and stay on top of it, uh, I think I, for other people, I think that was the thing that came really easily for them. I've known people that have been producing for six months, eight months to a year, and their shit sounds phenomenal. You right. know, and and the thing, and if you listen to the stuff I was making six months or a year into it, it's like atrocious, dude. It's almost frustrating how quickly some people just get it. And well. There, the the younger you are too, the more uh, the more exposed you are to all this knowledge. Yeah, definitely. Um, right. Like things like you know, things like side chaining and things that everybody knows about now. Those aren't things that everybody used to know about. Right. Um. You know the so, you know, that's part of it. When what used to, if you wanted to be a DJ or whatever, 10, 15 years ago, you went and bought your turntables and be a DJ. You didn't have to learn what uh, bus compression was. Or that you're when you master a song that your low end needs to be in mono and like you like that wasn't part of being a DJ. But now if you're going to be a DJ, you have to produce your own music. Man, you got to know all this stuff. So a lot of a lot of this information about producing and production and stuff like that, people are learning that on day one instead of me. Where a lot of these things I'm learn I learned a lot of things like four years into it. 
Yeah, it's yeah. You know, so it's so you know, I think you know, and it's good. It's good for them. That's fortunate. Like, but you know, if if you started producing right now today, then yeah, there is more information available for you. Mm-hmm. Hold on one second. Sure, no worries. Hey, y'all shut the fuck up. Stop. Stop. Hold on, I'm gonna bring these dogs inside. <laughs> okay, so, sorry about that shit. No, you're good, you're dude. Good. We got a good sample from you. We're totally gonna put y'all shut the fuck up at the very end of the podcast. Uh, did it get super? Did it get real Tennessee? Yeah, it was a awesome. little bit. Yeah, was there, there was a little, <laughs> was there a little bit of Cajun seasoning on that one. Right yeah, there? a little bit of Cajun. Oh, I for, I forgot if I ever told you this. I probably did that. I was born in Memphis. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, and last time I was telling the Zugma boys when I was on tour that I was, I was like, yeah, and I was born in Graceland Hospital, my claim to fame. And Brock just goes, well, that shit burnt down. (laughs) And I was like, well, fuck you, Brock. (laughs) Thanks a lot. That's a good Southern response. Well, that shit burnt down. (laughs) I didn't know. Yeah, I I definitely associate associate you with the Midwest. Did you live in... I'm Memphis. from Montana, actually, like uh, since I was three until I was 20. Okay. Yeah, but um, I lived in Memphis for two and a half years, so I was just learning to talk and before I got an accent going on, but my mom picked that shit up, and she was from Montana, too. So my dad somehow didn't pick up the accent at all in the 10 years that they lived there, uh, but my mom's is really bad, so all my baby videos are of you can hear be like, Megan, come on, time to get in the bath, let's go, come on, hurry up, come on, we don't have all night. Yeah. Like, my dad's like Megan. Let's go right now. <laughs> yeah, the loud, the louder I get, the more it's the more country for sure. It's the, y'all shut the fuck up. Remember, that was too uh, good, dude. That was too good. The, I loved it. One of the first interviews I ever did was like for NPR, and it was I at the time I I worked at this warehouse, and um, I did an NPR interview about DJ, and then I was real excited through the whole interview, and oh my god, and records, and uh, <laughs> uh, so I gather everybody, like it was going to air at like 9 a.m. or whatever, and got to work. I gathered everybody that I work with around the radio, and I it was mortifying. I was like, you, I was like, well, you just rub the record back and forth, and then you turn the fader off, and on. I was like, holy shit. And honestly, my other DJ buddies, I still, to this day, they'll be like, I'll see a friend that I haven't seen in like 12 years. And he'll be like, rub the record back and forth. Turn the fire (laughs) off and on. (laughs) Uh, That is so funny. You know, so like, I think the next interview I did, I was like, hello, what's up? My name is Wicked the Instigator. I was like, overcompensating. That's hilarious. I was like, I started overcompensating. So. Yeah. Dude, I was just gonna ask you to do your best like Midwesterner accent. The mi- I don't know, it's kind of non-regional, right? I mean, or, okay. How I catch like, certain West words Coast? like I listen to like I catch certain words like you know I listen to atmosphere and I notice he says cigarette instead of like <laughs> cigarette. He'll he'll say like you know give me a smoke a cigarette. Is that uh, is that <laughs> just him? That I might just that's be just, him. That's just him. Okay. Uh, well, we had Jack are, London on here a couple days or a couple uh, podcasts ago, and we had him do his accents. And he was like, "Well, I think there's two kinds of 
accent set I have in America. So start with the West Coast one. And he was like, hey, bro, how you doing, man? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I know. I don't know if this is like, I don't know if this is Minnesota, but who... There's somewhere where they pronounce like short A's weird. They'd be like, we just remodeled the master bathroom. <laughs> there it is. There that's it mi- is. That's yeah, it. That's, is that's that, the Midwest. Is that that's mi- okay. Midwest. Wisconsin. Okay. Northern Wisconsin. That's, Northern that's Minnesota. A, Florida. That's an accent that kind of lives in my head that I wasn't sure. Oh, what. sure. You betcha. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, mo- we remodeled the master bathroom with some plaster. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! Later today, we're gonna go out on the boat. It's well, see, that great. sounds like now that is it. So it's almost like Canadian then. Yes, it is. It's yeah. very the closer Canadian. you get to Canada, the more it gets like that. The first time <laughs> I ever went to like the first time I ever was like I was like in northern Michigan, almost Canada, and being I'm from like Kentucky and Tennessee, I couldn't believe there's like some there was like three dudes sitting around in flannel drinking real shitty beer, like watching NASCAR, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I thought, it, I thought, it, home. I thought the North was just all learned doctors and architects and. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. no! You want to hear this about the North? I just actually hung out with a girl who is from Minneapolis, but I was in San Francisco last week, and she has recently moved there. We were hanging out, and randomly we're talking about that I'm playing um, Playthink this year, which is in Kentucky, and I said, you know, interesting. I have never been to Kentucky. This will be cool to go for the first time. I don't know what it looks like. I have no idea. But I was born in Tennessee, so very close. And she goes, yeah, yeah. Well, Kentucky is in Tennessee. Oh. And I'm like, literally, I was like, excuse me? And she's like, well, yeah, like, okay. So she pu- makes us pull up a map because we're all dying. Like, all of us are just literally being like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, and here was her explanation. Ashley, this is for you. Um, her explanation is this. And you guys can go look at a U.S. map and see what the hell she was talking about. And I'll never stop laughing about it. Kentucky is shaped like a fried chicken leg. (laughs) And it's in the frying pan, which is Tennessee. Okay. 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 Is that really what she meant? Or she just come up with that shit on the spot when she (laughs) Sounds like she's backpedaling. She said that's how she learned the geography of the U.S. when she was young. She even went even farther to say... That like Iowa is the body of a, of the man holding the frying pan, and Minnesota is the head, and the little point that comes out and goes into Wisconsin is his nose. That's, like she has this whole explanation. Yeah. I know it is. It was a lot, but I just can't get over like, oh yeah, Kentucky is in Tennessee. <laughs> but, so died. yeah, but that's how she she literally so she meant it sitting on top of. That's a lot of. Uh, she really wanted to know where the states were. Like. She, <laughs> 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 That seems like a hard way to do it. Yeah, I was like, that seems like a hard way to do it. We got maps. We got maps. It confused the shit out of me. We, you know, that's what maps are for, right? Just be like, wait. The best part is there's a bunch of states around all these states, and they're not involved in this association at all. Yeah, they're not. She just like pictured what she saw in like these four states, and I don't even. I I don't know. It was ultra confusing. I will say. I will say. uh, It does look like a chicken leg. The one of the dumbest (laughs) moments of my life. I had. I I mean. I moved to Nashville from Kentucky when I was like 18, 19, somewhere in there. And uh, I, I, I think I was like, actually, you know what? I'd probably lived in Nashville for a few years when this happened. So this is really bad. I lived in Nashville for a few years and I was in Hawaii and I met a man from like England. And he was like, you know, he's asking me like, where are you from? And I was like, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. And he was like, oh, that's, this is my bad impression. It's like, oh, that's the capital of, Tennessee, right? And 
I was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, yeah, I think it is. And I was like, no. Nah. And I stuck with it. I was like, nah, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And, uh, and the person I was with was like overheard and was like, Andrew, like, they're like, are you fucking kidding me right now? They're like, do you not know that Nashville is the capital of Tennessee? And I was, I was like, is it? And she was like, why do you think that we have the Capitol building downtown? And I was like, oh man, that's actually, that makes a lot of sense. So, so like how like typical of an American was that dude forever is going to be like, I met a guy. I'm from another, I'm from fucking England. I met a guy from Nashville, Tennessee that didn't know that he lived in the capital of the state. And like, that's us, right? I'm, that is, that is, I'm that's sure hilarious. I was probably like holding a hot pocket and had like some Mountain Dew. Oh my God. No. That is so funny. I don't think so. I don't think so, guy from England. <laughs> Dude, my first thought to say to her when she said that Tennessee was in Kentucky to me was, the teacher asked me what's the capital of North Carolina, and I said, Washington, D.C. She said, no, you're wrong. And I said, well, you got a lumpy butt. She got mad and yelled at me, and I pissed in my pants. I changed my pee pants all day. I'm still sitting in my dirty pee pants. I literally said that whole thing. That's all I could think of. Oh, man. (laughs) Damn, man. Well, shit. It's been about it's been about an hour here, man. We're gonna wrap it up. Um, is there anything you want to say to the fans out there? Uh, just hi and and thank you for having such good taste in music. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> love it. And, be, and shout outs to Megan Hamilton doing your damn thing. I, hey. I love I love your music. Uh, I hope you never stop. Oh, thank you, dude. I really appreciate that. And likewise, you got any new projects coming up here soon? I'm just like um. I, I, I go back and forth right now. I'm just, re- I'm going to release a lot. I'm, I'm just going to keep making sure release it. I, uh, I think sometimes when I get into these like, uh, album projects or like, or uh, make everything this big thing, uh, I feel like it really prolongs how often I release stuff. Like then I'll get caught up in like, Oh, I can't release any singles or anything until this EP is done. So I'm kind of taking a break from that template of thinking and just making songs and, I'm I'm working on original music. I'm working on mashups. I'm working on mixtapes. And whenever something's done, I'm just gonna put it out. And uh, so that's and I'm and I'm gonna try to do it um, a lot. I'm gonna try to put out just uh, a lot of things. And uh, so yeah, I think that's the move right now. Yeah, I'm just uh, like I I I have a tendency to overthink things and um, you know like come up with these concepts and or or. Like, like I said, tell myself, okay, the next thing's going to be this album. It's going to be this big. And that's good to do too. But a lot of times I'll end up not putting shit out for six months or something because I've got this preconceived notion that this thing has to be the next thing that comes out. But whenever something gets done, it's going out. That's my, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Cool. Cool. And hopefully there's a lot of it. it. Hopefully you guys like it. And, we're, we and so where can people uh, catch you next live? You said you're doing the Big Boy After Party. Big Boy After Party is coming up in uh, that Reno. That's May 21st. I know uh, May May 24th. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, cool. And uh, I'm doing um, I'm doing a weekly playlist now on Spotify. I just did the first one that I'm going to put out on uh, Mondays. So uh, the it's called WikiLeaks. Um, uh, w i c k y and then leaks. I, I love the playlist thing. I, um, I'm really excited about that. So that's going to be, I'm going to do a new playlist every Monday. Look out for that. Have some of my stuff, some of my homie stuff, and then just some of my old favorite tunes. And Awesome. I can't wait that's to great. check it out. That's great. Cool. That's about it. 
Cool, right, dude. Man. Well, thank you for talking with us. We really appreciate it. And yeah. we're stoked to hear what you got dropping. Yeah, likewise. All right, Andy, thank you so much for kicking in with us. We really appreciate you. Andy Sue. Andy Sue. Woo. Um, and on the note of WikiLeaks. Which is his. The po- the playlist that we were just talking about that, that he was releasing. About, yeah. They found Julian Assange in London like a week ago and arrested him after he'd been hiding out in like the Ecuadorian embassy for like several years now. So if you guys don't know who that is, he's the founder of WikiLeaks. He's that guy that looks like Anderson Cooper, but he's in trouble. Oh, no. He looks like Draco Malfoy. Oh. It's like Anderson Cooper and Draco Malfoy made it's a- like real life Draco? A Dutch baby. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a Dutch baby. Yeah. I uh, don't know. Anyway. A dirty um, Danish. He was found in London. They arrested him. Uh, the UK is trying to decide if they want to extradite him to the United States right now, whereupon he would face five years in jail for- Exposing America for being a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, which is really not that big a deal. I feel like five years in a, I, I'm sure it would be a minimum security prison, like where he can go to the library. I agree. I really don't think it's that Starbucks. bad as compared to what they could do. Like, you know, if we want to get conspiracies about it, ship him off to like Siberia. Right. They're talking treason, right? Like that's treason. I, I think, think there's, the there's like five different charges that they're trying to Yeah, I mean, five right years now. really isn't that much. I feel like at this point, like if you're not going to you know, crack down on Trump and you want to crack down on this guy who's just basically a journalist who's leaking shit. Like, come on, pull your head out of your ass. Yeah, it's kind you of know ridiculous. What I mean? Like, but like, so five years is like, I think a slap on the wrist, which what it could be. I and, agree, but he, and also, where are the charges of him running from the government for like ever? I mean, like, I'm not supporting like finding him, but it's just yeah. kind of an interesting... Um, outcome here it is so anyway um we're gonna move into our favorite part because joel just walked in here oh hey joel let her rip album of the week all right so my album of the week is something that i have been super stoked on for the past couple weeks here and i got a chance to like really sit and listen to it when i was in san francisco Hmm. and it's called uh it's kill paris's new album and welcome back, Kill Paris, because we missed you, and you're fantastic. Anyway, album of the week, mine, Galaxies Within Us, Kill Paris. It's fantastic, I would say. It's very future bass oriented, but it's very funky. The The vocals in it are super powerful, and the last track on it is very reminiscent of like a modern emojin heap, almost. I think it's a really cool mix of sounds, and you can tell that he really put time into it. It's super cohesive. It's probably one of the best electronic... Um, albums I've heard come out in a really long time. Really? Yes. That's it's fantastic. Awesome. It's fantastic. It's so well done. I could just die. So what's it called again? Galaxies Within Us. Galaxies Within Us. And the artwork is really Paris. cool as well. And welcome back, Kill Paris, instead of Chill, Chill Harris. Harris. Yeah, we're glad you're back. Yeah. It's good to see him getting put on again because for a while I felt like he was kind of missing and mm-hmm. he had such momentum when he decided to change his name and so now I'm glad that people are re-recognizing oh yeah this was this person was fantastic yeah, he was let's great. put him back where he belongs yeah we so, want we want to know him for his music not his youtube tutorials that as well and not for the unfortunate Paris shooting so yeah, anyway too. um pat what is your album of the week um i'm going to go back in time for a little bit this is something i've been into for the last couple of weeks and I've been listening to it and trying to get um, a sense of like the bass production of 
the producer of these albums. His name is Eric Sermon. And in fact, Andrew just mentioned Eric Sermon in our interview. He was a rapper and producer of EPMD, which is an old school rap group. And he was the producer of Redman for many years. So I'm going to pick a Redman album. And All you bitches. bitches. So yeah, don't <laughs> judge me. It is, this album came out in 1994. Is it misogynistic? Absolutely. Is it, <laughs> is it cool? Totally. And it's super groovy. He calls himself the funk doc. If you don't know who Redman is, pull your head out of your ass. It's great. Uh, this is his second album. It's called There Is A Dark Side. And the bass is just so fucking bumping and heavy on these tracks. And it's super groovy. It's super simple. There's a lot of P-Funk samples. There's a lot of Rick James samples on there. And it's really fucking yeah, dope. Yeah, it sounds like it has to be funky. It's super dope. And in terms of that um, like misogyny quote that you made really quick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously we could go into the cancel culture of how many things we would have to stop listening to if we did stop actively supporting any artist who has made misogynistic rap songs in the 90s and this and that. But oh, we'd kill our we'd kill all of our I know, stuff. I know. Um, but I just wanted to bring this up because I thought that this was interesting. There was an article on Pitchfork this week of um, churches actually publicly calling out Marshmallow, saying they respect him as a producer but they don't respect him as a person because he recently did a song with R. Kelly. And I mm. thought that was really interesting to see yeah. a huge artist call out another huge artist and say, right. we like you, like you, we think your production is good quality. We don't respect that who you're working with. Right. And I think they have a really great quote in here. Wait, I don't have the article in front of me, but they had a really great, great quote in there. At the, yeah, a great quote. Great quote. They had a great quote in there right at the end about how what I just said. We could go back and do this cancel culture stuff on all these old tracks, but there's no rhyme or reason for someone modernly popular to be working with a known child abuser and a known child molester and a known creep who's currently being grilled for being disgusting. Right. So, I mean, I thought that was kind of cool to see one artist call out another and be like, you know what, we respect your ability to produce, but we don't respect the choices that you're making and the choices that you're making are perpetuating this fucked up culture that we have where people are marrying 15 year olds and shit. Right. And it seems like common sense, really. It like does. You shouldn't it be seems doing like that. a stupid idea for them so, to think that that was ever a not stupid right. idea. And that from an artist integrity, from an artist integrity standpoint, I totally get it. Like I, if I was a famous artist, would I want to collab with R. Kelly or the ghost of Michael Jackson, a hologram? Probably not. Probably not a good idea right now. Probably not a good idea. Yeah. You know, anyway. Just from pure, pure business perspective. I'm glad that people that are, you know, as big as him are calling him out. So. Right. Now, that being said, uh, one thing I've noticed lately. So I watched the Michael da- Michael Jackson documentary and it totally grossed me out, disgusted uh, totally me. Totally same. And we don't even want to go into that because I'm sure people who have listened to that and are interested in that whole topic have researched it to death on you know, the internet. So we're talking about leaving Neverland, the HBO yeah. documentary. If yeah. you don't know what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Feel free to watch it if you'd like, if you want to be disgusted. Um, but anyway, so since that has come out, I was like really grossed out after I watched it for like the first week. And like, I almost was like, I told you, Megan, I, I'm like, I don't think I can, I'm a Michael Jackson fan. I'm a Quincy Jones fan. I love the funk, uh, the, uh, the brothers Johnson. And, like their contributions to his music. It just sounds so good, but like, I don't think I could do it. That being said, now listening to 
the radio, listening to satellite radio, hearing Spotify playlists, their algorithms, algorithms and whatnot. I've heard a lot of songs from Michael Jackson lately. I've heard a lot of songs from the Jacksons, their four albums on CBS before they like after they were the Jackson five. And it's like the music is so fucking dope. I'm going to be honest. The music is so great. It holds up. It's so good. There is and that whole argument of separating the art from the artist. the artist. Yes, there is. Now, that being said, so where I work, it's right around a bunch of art buildings that the, that are rented out for private parties, weddings, etc. And I was leaving work the other day, and I was outside smoking a cigarette, getting ready to go to my car, go home. And on the third floor, the top floor of this art building next door, they were having a wedding reception. And the windows were blaring, or the windows were open and the music was blaring. And the remix to Ignition came on. And this was three days ago, less than three days ago. I heard everybody up there at the reception lose their shit when the song came on and started cheering. So there you go. Huh. You know? Yeah, I so don't know. that's what it is. <clears throat> that's what it is. And this is that for this week. Yep. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>